The climate is changing at an accelerating pace. Thousands of residents and tourists have been evacuated from the region. No one country can solve this problem. There's really one key message that emerges from this report. We are out of time. Welcome to Climate Change and Happiness, an international podcast that explores the personal side of climate change, your feelings, what the crisis means to you, and how to cope and thrive. And now, your hosts, Thomas Doherty and Panu Pikala. Well, hello, I am Thomas Doherty. And I'm Panu Pikala. And welcome to Climate Change and Happiness. This is our podcast and a show for people around the world who are interested in exploring their feelings about climate change, their emotions, their personal experience. And well, today our word of the day is a common one in our culture right now, eco-anxiety. It's something Pano and I have talked about many times, but this is an open conversation that we're inviting the listeners to, to join in. As I say, is a fear wrapped in a cloud, right? Anxiety is a normal and healthy emotion that we are hardwired to have. And when we have some apprehension about a potential threat, we feel anxiety. And it causes us to think about what might happen and take some action, and it helps us to survive. So as they say in in counseling, anxiety's job is not to make you happy, it's to keep you alive. Um, And so we're going to talk about eco-anxiety in some different ways that you as the listener can well feel about this so you know i know you have a lot of feelings about this you all but uh and also think about it and understand it and um pana do you want to talk a little bit about your history with this feeling with this emotion and with these ideas yeah definitely ahdistus. that's eco anxiety in finnish literally that would be environment anxiety mm. so ympäristö environment Ahdistus, anxiety, and the words are again important here because anxiety is such a loaded term for some people. It brings into mind more intense anxiety, and then for some, like you, Thomas, there's the recognition of the fundamental practical dimension in anxiety. And in the Finnish language, my native native language, the way we use ahdistus, anxiety, is not very pathologizing. Of course, people in healthcare in Finland might have a connotation heavily geared towards intense anxiety or even anxiety disorders. But common people also use it as a verb. Something is anxieting you. And so mm. that, that means that something is, is troubling you mm. in, in 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 a general sense and that's probably one of the reasons why so many Finns have resonated with the concepts of eco-anxiety and climate anxiety and those have been big part of my my, my my work here but originally I came across this area around 2009 or 10 of course implicitly I had encountered it even before but explicitly then in cooperation with environmental educators especially my colleague and friend Essi who is a, also a scholar of environmental education and we started organizing sessions for people where they could encounter some of these difficult emotions mm-hmm. and those were related to many issues including biodiversity loss and in Finland 
the, what's happening with the forests was a major thing. Mm-hmm. So it started for me as a general anxiety, distress, mm-hmm. worry related thing, not especially related to climate and that's been influencing my work also later. Yeah. But how about you, you Thomas? Um, what's your history with the eco anxiety? Yeah, thanks, Panu. Uh, yeah, and there is history to eco anxiety, and so I think that's a great way to to get into this a little bit too. It's not it's not a new idea. I mean, the feeling of anxiety is a primal, you know, primordial feeling. All you know, I think all certainly all mammals can feel anxiety in some form, and let me sentient beings of various kinds can probably feel some sorts of existential anxiety in terms of threats to their life. And we as humans have, you know, existential anxiety in terms of threats to meaning and how we make sense of things too. Uh, and I've been tracking this for too many years now. It, it goes back to my time with the American Psych Association Climate Task Force about 10, 12 years ago, and you know, really exploring what we were calling then environmental anxiety. Um, and um, it's important to realize that this idea of eco-anxiety um, is not didn't specifically even start with climate change, you know. From by my reckoning, the the first the first mention of the term eco anxiety in the, in the media as we know it now was in around two thousand and four, um, and it was really about um, you know uh, concerns about chemicals in the natural environment and chemicals in our in our systems, uh, endocrine disruptors and various chemicals and things like that. That's the, the articles that I, I I saw that were looking at that. So this is this is a longstanding concern that people have. Really, to understand eco-anxiety in that sense, you need to go back to, say, Rachel Carson's Silent Spring in, mm-hmm. in, 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 the, in the 1960s. That's that's a real harbinger of this idea of eco-anxiety. So, you know, eco meaning ecological and ecological threats. Um, Theodore Rozak had a great quote in his book, The Voice of the Earth, from the early 90s, and talking about, you know, this prefix eco being affixed to many words like eco-politics and eco-philosophy and even eco-terrorism. But he said this quote, this tiny neologistic flag flies above our language like a storm warning meant to signal our belated concern for the fate of the planet. It's often awkward connection with words from many sources, politics, economics, the arts, and therapy, of course, reveals our growing realization of how many aspects of our life that concern will have to embrace. Mm. So, you know, this 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 neologistic storm flag that was flying in the in the nineties, you know, was the harbinger of what we're feeling here today in twenty twenty one. And, you know, I've got a book here on my desk from Alan Watts, The Wisdom of Insecurity, A Message for an Age of Anxiety, right? And that was written in nineteen fifty one. Right, so mm. you know, we have to think about the nuclear uh, the Cold War and the fear of nuclear threats. So that's another variation on eco-anxiety so people uh, have been feeling you know over t- over many eras i think we could we could do some archaeological thinking on many eras and times people have had some sort of sense of uh, threats in the larger systems and so again exactly. yeah so and i think that's a good place to to help ground ourselves we're not we're not alone this is not new but we have our versions of it and then how does that play out in your your books and research, Panu? Mm. Yeah, I've always found the historical dimension also very important. 
part of that is related to my own history of doing a dissertation related to historical forms of Christian ecological theology, mm. especially the first half of the 20th century. And there definitely was distress related to ecological concerns already during that time, sometimes local or regional, like during the Dust Bowl, for yes. example, yeah. and then in a growing manner related also to global conditions. So I think Rachel Carson is a prime example here that even through the con- to the concept eco-anxiety is not mentioned, that doesn't mean that the substance matter wouldn't be there. So that, I think that's very important to note. And in the early 1970s, lots of people had this. And uh, since I've been working with this subject, many many people who were alive then and very concerned have resonated now with the concept of eco-anxiety. It just wasn't conceptualized that way in the early 70s, for, for example. But for me, it went so that in 2014-2015, I started fo- focusing heavily on eco-anxiety research. It was very new back then in Finland. It was quite a lonely, lo- lonely road, but very, very interesting also. And uh, partly I was home taking care of the kids during that time, so it was a sort of special, special time. And I wrote a monograph in Finnish about eco-anxiety and hope, which mm-hmm. came out in October 2017. And that, that became quite well known in Finland. Finland is, after all, a relatively small country. So if some of the major newspapers cover a book you do, then the information spreads. And many people started to resonate with the concept in its Finnish form. And... The, as I mentioned in the beginning, the pathologizing aspect wasn't as severe in the Finnish language as it has been in other, other places. And then one year after, in autumn 2018, when there was serious heat waves in northern Europe, and the new IPCC report came out, and Greta Thunberg and others started these school strikes, for example, the level of climate awareness grew rapidly and with that uh, there was also a renewed interest in my eco-anxiety book and work so it sort of uh, started to fly second time one year after it it was published but big part of my academic work has been sort of theoretical foundations for thinking about these issues and that's also of course one phase where I was drawing on stuff that you, Thomas, have been doing together with others like Susan Clayton and many of these eco-psychology people, Theodore Rosakiswan and several others. So, and one of the aim of that work is to avoid the pathologizing dimension also in other languages uh, and to underscore that fundamentally eco-anxiety is so-called practical anxiety using a concept developed by Charlie Kurt, an anxiety philosopher whose book The Anxious Mind is very helpful in this regard. Mm. But of course it can become very intense and people often need support for it and that's why I think that Thomas also in, in your daily work the subject matter comes up pretty frequently. Yeah, it does. And... Um 
this has been, you know, as I joke sometimes in a dark way, uh, you know, the, the future or the, the present has caught up with me in terms of my, you know, you say lonely road working on some of these issues. And so any of you all listening who have been working on this or thinking about this for a long time, you know, for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, uh, it is a lonely road in, in the sense of being open to these these kinds of circumstances. Um, there's a lot of directions to go with this conversation. Um you know, we, 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 we hurt where we care is the saying, you know, and so the people that are listening that um, have environmental values or altruistic values or, you know, concern about the planet or other species or feel a sense of inner being, you know, that they are part of, you know, nature, part of the web of life are particularly, you know, which I share some of those, um, those beliefs and feelings and, 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 and sort of knowings. Um, and, you know, that's, that leaves us vulnerable, you know, to this kind of anxiety. Uh, and also just pure education and awareness leaves us vulnerable to these kinds of anxieties. You know, um, again, back in 2008, when I was working on that climate task force and I plunged into the disaster uh, research, you know, it was interesting to learn about the early writing on environmental anxiety. A lot of it came around chemical, chemical people living around chemical plants and things like that. And, um, you know, what they found was that if, if people, if you were living in, in close relation to a chemical plant, you were more likely to have uh, anxiety or physiological symptoms concerned about the chemicals if you could see the plant. You know, so there was a there was a visual piece there. Even if someone was living closer to it, they would have less symptoms if they couldn't see it. So what we can see affects us, uh, and and so we do have a mind that's actively working to you know to see these threats. So the more we see, the more we understand, the more we're, the more we're vulnerable. Uh, and, you know, to bring it up to the present day, you know, why climate change is really, really, you know, channeling this eco anxiety is because, you know, 10, 20 years ago, we would think about climate change and it was all kind of an abstract, distant, a distant kind of problem, maybe for another part of the world, particularly people in the, in the, in the global North. Oh yeah, this is going to happen maybe in the future, things like that. So there was seen the direct impacts of disasters that we all can understand, but then there was the indirect impacts of climate refugees and ripple effects and geopolitical, you know, conflicts around, you know, climate and drought and things like that. And then the, what I was really working on was the emotional impacts, the weight, the emotional mm -hmm. weight of sitting with all this, this stuff, even if we're not personally, you know, in harm's way. But you know those 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 categories of impacts have now started to come to what I call a singularity, where the disasters are coming to where we live now, and the disasters and the ripple effects and the emotional things are all happening in the same place and time, and that's what's happening for us. It's happening for me, uh, for you, uh, Panu, for mm -hmm. for listeners around the around the world, and so that that singularity is really amping up, you know, this anxiety, and it and it's. And it's beyond, we have to understand anxiety is about a potential threat, but fear is about a real threat that we can see. So, so anxiety is getting, getting more, you know, for some people it's not, the feeling isn't anxious, it's, it's fear or, or something yeah. like that. And so we, we can get into these, these kinds of things. But again, remembering that anxiety is hardwired into us in a healthy way, evolutionary way, we have both the propensity to, you know, affiliate with nature and to love nature and to understand nature but we also have we're wired to be concerned about threats because we're ma we're mammals. Um, yeah. So again, em embracing this, celebrating eco anxiety to a certain extent is really important. Um, 
Uh, you know, mm. I think of books like the Un Uninhabitable Earth by, or the work of David David Wallace Wells and things like that. The, these 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 really scary, scary, scary stories are also prompting people to take action. I know I just saw some research that, um, you know, uh, natural disa disasters of various kinds, uh, like heat waves and droughts, they're, you know, the, the amount of actual deaths are going down, even as the disasters are increasing. And we saw that with the European, um, European heat waves over the successive heat waves they've had over the last decade or so. People, the systems are, we're getting better systems you know, uh, to, 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 to deal with the problem. So again, as the, as the problems ramp up, our responses are also ramping up. So we have to kind of keep mm -hmm. that in mind mm -hmm. as well. Um, yeah, that's one, one thing that brings, brings com comfort and the concept of eco fear has been suggested also, and it would be in my mind also important to realize that there is a fear component also, and and worry. Of course, worry is also a big word which can mean many things. Mm -hmm. It can be sort of constructive caring. You know, you you are worry, worrying about your kids who are out on the town, for example, and mm -hmm. much of that is constructive. Then if it controls your life in the sense of negative rumination that's of course problematic but i think the same kind of dynamic applies for many of these threat related emotions and feelings that we really need a certain amount of them to protect ourselves and and our our dear dear ones so they have this life serving function as you thomas so well 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 said and that's very important to yeah. keep in mind. One of the problems with climate anxiety is that because it's related to so many things, we ha overall we have this eco-social crisis and the climate change is related to all of the ways of production and consumption and mobility and so on. And that means that the possibility that means that the possible triggers and stimuli, the list is sort of endless. So coming back to what you said, Thomas, about seeing the plant and then getting more anxiety, that's one of the problems with climate anxiety, because you can see signs of it basically every, everywhere. And I remember those times when my climate anxiety was higher. I was, for example, uh, got anxiety by seeing these major construction sites in Helsinki because they are not done as climate friendly as they should be and and anyway the whole growth society has big problems with climate issues so mm -hmm. just to mention one personal example yeah 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 um so um this is we've got about we've got some time left in our talk and i think for our listeners i want to go in a couple directions i mean you, you want to come back to that practical that that, that practical piece and some takeaways you know, I think one one helpful thing, as two people that have really spent a lot of time in in this area, it's it's to how to navigate eco anxiety because it's in the media a lot, it's being written about, and it is like you say, Panu, it's very personal. But then you're talking about these big systems, and so I think when you as a listener, when you're seeing discussions of eco anxiety, you're you're seeing it typically talked about in one of two ways. One is the broad cultural on the. People are talking about this on a broad cultural level, 
uh, and you know, often as a, a critique of society in our in our system, or you know, capitalism, uh, or things like that. And so we've got this, you know, similar to the writing about nuclear war. You know, it's a it's a societal problem. So uh, we've got this idea of climate change as a hyper object. You know, Timothy Morton philosophers view it's this big thing. So we got philosophers coming in. We've got psychoanalytic thinkers, therapists talking about denial and repression. Um, you know, we've got legal scholars, you know, in the legal scholars, they see eco-anxiety as a form of self-governance, right, in the and self-protection in the absence of care by the state. So we can see that, you know, we can people's forms of eco-anxiety are a way to take care of themselves because the, the their leadership are not. So it's a form of governance in a way. So there's really a lot of interesting ways to think about eco-anxiety and climate anxiety. You know, Sarah Sarah Ray has the field guide to climate anxiety. So various environmental educators have been talking about um, climate anxiety, eco anxiety, because they're seeing it in their classrooms with their with their students and things like that. So again, it comes back to this climate cosmopolitanism idea that we talk about. You know, that we, there's many different languages. You'll see many different languages around eco anxiety, and so it is a bit of a blind man and elephant problem. Like everybody's sort of seeing it from their from their their piece. So it can be fragmented. Uh, and then there's the personal. There's the abs- the personal in a lot of the writings on eco-anxiety that comes across as a kind of a personal confession. People confess their eco-anxiety because it's, you know, somehow, you know, still a little bit stigmatized to talk about this sort of stuff. And that gets into the personal mental health. You know, as we were joking earlier, I mean, we, Pano and I are parents and, you know, we're privileged in our ways, but we also are humans and have a life. And mm. I'm doing this early in the morning and Pano's late in the evening in Finland and I rushed to get my my 14-year-old daughter off to her school and getting her with her lunch and all the special things she needs for her spirit week at, at school. Uh, and then I come to this podcast and we talk about these global existential issues. And so we, <laughs> we you know, and that's what happens. We, we're in our lives, our daily lives, and then we're carrying the weight of the world. And that, that, that's, a, that's, the, that's our, our, our all personal experience of being planetary citizens now uh it's a beautiful thing Panu. i think it's it's a real honor that we have this ability to understand and know at least us those of us who have ability to be educated and and have access to technology and things like that but it does cause Mm. it can cause diagnosable problems you know as a as a therapist i i see this and so that's that's another part of the conversation um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely. There's lot to, lot to un- unpack here, and this sort of uh, fact that we have our daily lives to take care of. That's on one hand a complication to encountering many, many sorts of difficult feelings, and on the other hand, it can be a, a resource, of course, also many times. So you are sort of grounded also in other, other issues. So, mm-hmm. so the di- dynamics are man- manifold fold here. And one, one part of my work in Finland has been to uh, ad- ad- advise various institutions who have become more interested to help people to cope better with ego and anxiety to serve those needs and workshops needs i i did a short text in 2018 10 recommendations for people with ego anxiety the first three ones that i mentioned was one don't feel weak or unsuccessful if you experience ego anxiety 
The second one was appreciate and respect your eco anxiety. Mm. So echoing some of the things you said, yeah. Thomas. And, and third, you're not alone, don't remain alone. And back then and in many places today, there may be feelings of isolation and loneliness. And that's one of the reasons why we are doing this podcast, of course. So yes. to, to, to manifest that you're, you're not alone, there's a great company. Yes, indeed. Well said, Panu. And, you know, from the from the clinical psychology perspective, you know, the other piece of the this 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 dialogue is around the medical and the psychiatric and the psychological and is 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 eco anxiety a, a, a disorder and all these other things that people talk about. Most people don't understand that you know how the disorder system works in the diagnosis book. You know you don't need to have a special context for a disorder. Anxiety can be around any number of issues in life or depression or trauma. So we don't need a particular drought depression or a wildfire stress disorder, but we can certainly have depression or traumatic stress around these kinds of things. And so we could certainly have, again, we have, it's levels for people. As you think about this yourself, the listeners, you know, there's a normal level. Anxiety is a normal part of our emotional repertoire. And so if you feel anxious about climate change, well, join the club. We all do. And it's a big issue. Um, And then um, some people have trouble managing their anxiety. Some people are more vulnerable to anxiety in general, and they tend to ruminate and worry and, 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 or have, you know, uh, their body all keyed up and have difficulty sleeping. And, you know, that can happen around climate and eco anxiety for sure. Uh, and that, you know, it could get to the point of being in like a, what we call an adjustment disorder where people are struggling to adjust to a, to a stressor. And then some, some of us, you know, might have a, a, a full fledged depression or, or anxiety diagnosis, because that's just, that's just our, 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 our situation. You know, it's not a, it's not a stigma or a pathology. Um, and so finding finding our place in this is is really important, you know. And again, this is contested because some of you want to make sure that we don't medicalize this social issue. We, they don't want they don't, they don't want to medicalize and say, oh, this is just a personal psychiatric problem. This is a social problem. This is a structural problem. This is a political problem. Mm-hmm. So people fight. Some people are fighting against that diagnosis in a right in a right way because they don't want it to be. We don't, they don't want it, they don't want it to be reduced or reductionistic right but we don't want to reduce eco anxiety in, in any way we don't want to reduce it to just mm. a social problem or just a psychiatric problem it's all of the above it's a hyper object right so it's multiple <laughs> things and we can have issues and issues so like I can have a, I can have a psychological issue and issues with society at the same time right that's the issue that's my that's my therapeutic work with clients that's where i would go like what are the issues you want to work on and what are your personal issues and how do we get in sync with that and that's that's just something we all have to do and i have to do as well yeah anything else vapani we're gonna gonna wrap this up uh in a, in a moment you know and again we're this whole podcast is we're coming at this from different directions, you know. I, you know, we did a, a talk on inadequacy, the feeling of inadequacy. I'm actually looking forward to a talk on cynicism and, and uh, celebrating cynicism because I can be a very, I can be a very cynical person myself. So uh, there's a lot of directions here. Yes, yes, there is definitely an, uh, a team that has been sort of implicitly mentioned here is the ability to counter the negativity bias and we'll return to that one I think several times in in, in our talks and I might close for my part by reading the last recommendation of, of this my old text from 2018 accept the seasons of the mind 
and practice the skill of seeing on two levels. No one will ever be perfect. Just like in the natural world, the human mind also has seasons. Sometimes you just have to accept and live through a period of dark melancholy while waiting for the spring. Difficult emotions are also part of life. Seeing on two levels means regularly focusing on both difficulties and good things. A paralyzing bout of eco-anxiety can often hide the many signs of hope that exist in the world. Remembering the good things and being grateful allows us to cope better. Mm. Now that's almost paraphrasing Joanna Macy, so respect to Joanna and other pioneers also. Yes, yes. Yeah, and again, the emotional work, as you know, as you say, for some some of us, it's really going deep into the despair to really sit with that and to be able to express that in a safe way. And others of us want to build build a build you know bricks of positivity. So we want to start with positive emotions and build so the, a broaden and build kind of positive approach. So each each of us are going to have our own way in dealing with these trouble troubling emotions in general. And I know just in terms of counseling and therapy. You know, anxiety, again, it's it's what I say with clients is you need to close the loop uh, on anxiety. So anxiety mm. is a signal. It's like a it's like a warning flag. And then we go and explore what the issue is as best as we can. And then we take some action and that that closes the loop in our mind and it, it activates our entire mind and ourself. And we do something with our hands. So we have to try to close the try to close the loop with your eco anxiety either by um taking some action of some sort. It could be making a list. It could be reading. It could be doing research. It could be talking to someone. But that closing the loop gets it out of the rumination and the worry and into the world mm. and into action. And then, and then we can come back around again. But think of it as a, or think of it as a series of loops, um, I think, is, is helpful. Because if we're just ruminating and just sitting sitting in our own stew of, of worry and fear and the cloud, it's it, it's there's ultimately there's a point of diminishing returns there where we're, 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 mm-hmm. we're just becoming internalized and it, and it disempowers us. So uh, I know this is easier said than done, but small actions make a difference. Mm-hmm. So small things often, but listeners, thank you so much for joining us. This is climate change and happiness. You can find us at climatechangeandhappiness.com. Please send us your thoughts and questions, and we will be talking about more things all climate, all emotions, all the time. Pondu, take care of yourself and have a great evening. You too, Thomas. Uh, have a good, good day and thanks to all the listeners.